So would you stand again with me this morning for the reading of God's word as we uh, honor his word this morning. And our introductory verse will be the same as last week. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. Proverbs 12, 26. That the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each person uh, today through your word, that at the end of the day, Lord, that your word would speak for itself, that we would leave this place desiring to be more like you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of refresher, if you weren't here last week, I shared two definitions, and they'll be uh, behind me on the screen. And I encourage you to think about these for a minute. The first definition is Mark Driscoll's definition of a friend. He said that a friend is a trustworthy peer who whom we mutually choose to lovingly live with by seeking unique access. So that's a key word, unique access and service for God's glory and our mutual good. Jonathan Holmes clarifies this biblical definition and says this. The biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. It is indispensable to the work of the gospel in the earth, an essential element of what God has created us for. Last week we said that you and I are created for relationship. We see this so clear in, in the book of Genesis and then all throughout scripture. One of the important uh, culture uh, things that we believe that's part of Access Church, it's one of our values, is, is striving relationships. The church is more than just a bunch of people around each other, but that we do life together, that we realize that we were designed for relationship uh, with one another. And I believe that as we have these connection points like the Spikes game or a picnic or, or these opportunities, it's more than just getting people together. Anybody can get a group of people together. And, and, and it's more than just the cafe, an opportunity for just people to be around one another. But our heart as leaders is to provide the environment for you to take that initial step and begin growing in your relationships with one another. It's not the end all. It's the starting point. It's the connecting point. That maybe, perhaps, you have somebody that, that may not be comfortable coming necessarily on a Sunday morning, but they'll come to a baseball game or they'll come to a picnic after service. You say, can I invite somebody to a picnic and not church? Go for it. If that's the connecting point, if that's the starting point for that person, it's, I believe that it's in those environments that they see the body of Christ mirroring what healthy relationships look like And there's a longing and a desire. I believe that we're not relevant when we mirror the culture in the world around us, but when we are people that actually become what others are longing to be. And I really believe that there is a longing and a desire and a void in people's lives for thriving, meaningful, deep, and significant relationships. And that's our role as the body of Christ to model that. Uh, The Proverbs says that the righteous, those that are in right standing before God, choose their friends carefully. And so last week we talked more about the what, and today I want to talk more about the how. How does this happen? And I want to talk this morning specifically about what does Proverbs say are some key elements to true friendships. These aren't 
casual you know, relationships or acquaintances that you have. Casual uh, relationships are, are, are basically, I believe, as a result of circumstance. But close friends are the result of choice. All of us have casual relationships based on circumstances. But close friends are based on choice. Intentional choice to, to engage in relationship. True friendship with one another. And I want to share... Uh, several qualities that I've seen throughout the book of Proverbs and what a true friend uh, really looks like. And I believe all of us need to have these type of people in our lives and we need to be this type of person in other people's lives. And one of the things that you've got to understand is that growing in relationship with Christ, uh, you know, it's hard for pastors to admit this because they really value their preaching so much. But I could say that, you know, I I, I have no issue saying that if, if preaching is your primary source of growth and development, I will fail you time and time again. I have no problem saying that. As much as I believe in God's word, and much as I believe that I'm called to preach God's word, and that there's such value in that, it is not the end all in your relationship with Jesus. That you and I are to grow in relationship with the Lord through relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It would be highly arrogant and ignorant for me to think that simple preaching once a week on a Sunday morning for a 30-minute period of time is going to be enough for you to grow constantly in your relationship with God. It has to happen through thriving, deep, significant, meaningful, and true friends that you and I choose carefully. The first element that I see in the book of Proverbs is found in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24, and you can turn there this morning. That a true friend will strive to equally invest in the relationship. Proverbs 18, 24 puts it this way. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you read this verse in the book of Proverbs on, on the subject of friendship, uh, immediately, you know, you, you're kind of torn in your heart because you're thinking, all my life I was taught that there's safety in numbers. We were taught that as children growing up through the years. You've got to be well-rounded. You've got to have a lot of acquaintances and friendships, and, and more equals better. We see this in our culture today as we're in the political season already, it seems like, and we're talking polls and news and candidates and forerunners already, that the most, you know, we're talking about the polls, that, that, that X person has all of these, you know, people that are supportive of them, and, and therefore, they're going to be the front runner, they're, they're going to succeed. We see it in our news as we talk about war, that we're going to send 3,000 people to this area, we're going to send 1,000 people here, because numbers equals success. Get a group of pastors around each other, and within about 15 minutes, somebody's asking the question, what are you running? As if numbers always equal success and strength. But the reality is we need to move beyond our natural eyes and what we see. Begin to think spiritually speaking. Because in God's kingdom, more numbers doesn't always equal success, security, and stability. And we see this principle in this this verse in the book of Proverbs. It actually says that if you have many companions, that you can, you can come to ruin. What's that about? Because you would think that the person with an abundance of friendships would be stronger. And yet this passage of Scripture actually says that that's simply not true. Because all of us are limited 
with the amount of time that we're uh, able to invest in relationships. And so if you want to be the type of person that wants to take your time, your energy, and emotion, kind of distribute that over, you know, 250 people, and you want to connect with everyone, you want to have a close relationship with everyone, at some point, you're going to desire a real, true friend. This passage of Scripture is saying, you know what? None of us are God. We're limited in in all of our resources. I know Donald Trump would never say this, but you know what? Even Donald Trump himself has limited resources. All of us do. And what this principle is saying is if you want to spend all of your time and you want to you know, have, connect with hundreds of people and have close relationships, it's not realistic. And at some point, you'll need a true friend. And you'll feel as if your life is in ruin because there's not that person to call. Which is why we need to choose our friends carefully. That a true friend will strive to equally invest in relationship. Now, how many of you know someone, you don't necessarily need to raise your hand, but you've seen a person, you have a connection with somebody that it seems like uh, they cycle through friendships. They have about 10 or or 5 close friends, and then every season, like we change our our clothes, you know, they're cycling friends in and out. And you ever wonder why that is? See, I think many times there are people that are not willing to invest in deep, significant, meaningful relationships. And because relationships are a two-way street, what happens is in that season, they kind of cap off at their relationship and they max out. And the other person's left kind of hanging because they're longing for more, but that person's not able to equally invest in the relationship. And so the other individual withdraws, trying to find that person that's going to invest the time, energy, and motion. Where one person is constantly withdrawing, and the other individual isn't depositing in the relationship. And so they have surface-level relationships for a season, and then one person will move on because they're desiring so much more. We see this in, in our marriages. Husbands and wives, you've been through seasons, I'm sure, that you feel as though your spouse is, 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 is withdrawing more than they're depositing in the relationship. And any healthy relationship is when two people come together and they're equally depositing in the relationship, not financially, but, but through you know, the five love languages, like quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, and so forth, that they're equally depositing in the relationship and equal, equally withdrawing. And you can say, well, it, you know, it's, everybody's got to put in 100%, even if you, know, you can't take anything out of the relationship. But for me personally, I, I need things in a relationship, don't you? Healthy relationships are when people are investing and they're withdrawing in the relationship. And the same thing is true with our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that you pursue with intentionality, as these previous uh, definitions have defined. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, I'm not necessarily going to spend time reading uh, the whole chapter this morning, but you do see this in the life of Jesus. If you go home this week and you study Mark chapter 3, you're going to see that Jesus obviously is fully God and he's fully man, and yet we see... You know that Jesus, there are these categories almost of people. And, and I know that equality is such a big thing in our culture. And so the idea of Jesus spending more time with certain people and less time with others can seem to rub us the wrong way. But the reality is you see there are multitudes of people. You see in Mark chapter 3 that there are the disciples. 
you see that there are the apostles, almost as if Jesus is spending time with the multitudes. He's spending time with the disciples. He's spending more increased time with the apostles. And then you get to the inner circle with Peter, James, and John, where time and time again, Jesus is constantly investing in these guys. We see in the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, it says six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. We see in the teaching on, uh, on the second coming in Mark chapter 13, as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite of the temple, Peter, James, and John are there. He goes to the mountain to pray in Luke 9. Peter, James, and John he took with them. In the garden to pray in Matthew chapter 26, he takes Peter and the sons of Zebedee with him. We see the witness of the miracle in Mark chapter 5. It says that he didn't let anybody follow him except Peter, James, and John. There are times that Jesus is constantly investing in these three guys. They're constantly investing in the apostles. And, and so I'm saying this to say that you shouldn't feel bad investing in a few deep, meaningful, and significant relationships with others. The second piece to this is that a true friend uh, will sharpen you. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Now I want you to think for a minute on on the value of, of something being sharp. This is just a little toy that I have in my office. And I want you to think about this a little deeper for a minute, because when you and I read the Bible, as we were talking about honey a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about something sweet, it's important that we think beyond the surface as we read uh, the Bible, because the Bible is now linking friendships to iron sharpening iron. When this passage of Scripture was, was written, they fully understood the value of something being sharp. I mean, in our culture, in our society today, if you want something sharp, it's just all about manufacturing. You just build the right equipment, and we can mass produce just about anything from a sword to, to a toothpick. But in the time that this portion of Scripture was written, there was great value on, with things that were sharp, whether it was a knife or a spear or a sword but today, we, we don't necessarily appreciate the value of something being sharp. But, but in the book of Proverbs, they certainly, like honey, appreciated honey. They appreciated the value of something sharp. Because when it's referencing the, these, this iron sharpening iron process, what it's talking about is it's talking about a process and it's talking about time. Several years ago, I, I was in Jamaica. And uh, one of the things that's really popular in Jamaica is to go get those machetes. And uh, so what you do is you go to Ocho Rio or one of the markets, and they have these machetes that are basically mass-produced in China, and they ship them over and they sell them to tourists because they really don't know the difference. And so everybody buys them, and they're walking around with these machetes. And I remember seeing them, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want one that was made in China. I want, like, the real thing that you guys have here in Jamaica. So one of the guys found for me, and I didn't bring it this morning, but he, he, he actually gave me a real machete that was made out of, of a truck tire, a piece of metal, and then a couple rivets, and it was hand-sharpened, and it, it's very old. And I remember when he gave me that for the first time, the first thing that I thought about was this portion of Scripture, as iron sharpens iron. 
Because we can't look at this verse in the Bible and, and think through the lens of manufacturing things that are just quick and easy to sharpen. But I thought of this old machete and the time and the process and the energy that went into making this uh, in, in Jamaica. I want you to understand a little bit of, about the history because bronze was the primary material that weapons were, were made out of uh, prior to 1300 B.C. And so what was happening is they were running short because of all of the wars that were taking place uh, in that time. We're not really sure, but perhaps it was the Philistines who developed the skill for making weapons out of much stronger iron. And so these iron weapons that were made in this time, uh, it was kind of like a revolutionary uh, technology. And the Philistines kept this technology to themselves uh, it, it's almost like the you know, nuclear technology that we have of our day where we're trying to keep such and such you know, details secret. But in the times of the Bible, there was this thing that was kind of like the iron advantage. And we, you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 13 because there were people that had the monopoly on, on this technology in making iron weapons, which is why the Bible says not a blacksmith could be found in, in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all of Israel went down to the Philistines to have their, their things sharpened. And what happened over a period of decades is this technology began to leak. And now Israel possessed this newfound skill. And, and at the age of King David, Israel began, began making iron weapons for the first time. And so as this as this verse is being penned and people are reading it, this is a national endeavor. This is revolutionary that now there's military independence. They're able to create, they're able to hand manufacture their own weapons for the very first time. And what they would do, it was a three-step process. They would get uh, a sword and they would iron out kind of the hammer with a flattened you know, device like sheet metal. And they would, they would file the edges with an iron or stone, and they would create the razor's edge. And then the third step in the process is that they would use another piece of iron, and they would kind of rub off or lift the edge. How many of you have heard the phrase before, you know, he's lost his edge? And so when Solomon's writing this, as iron sharpens iron, he's, he's referencing kind of the revolutionary technology of the day. And so the word picture immediately linked in, in people's minds because these weapons had great value. And so in essence, what he's saying about these sharpening relationships is he says that there are people in our lives that as iron sharpens iron, it's revolutionary, it's of great value, nothing can compare, but it involves time and it involves a process. That you don't man, you know, manufacture true significant friendships, but there's time and a process that's required. And I want you to think of this verse a little differently, that there are friends that can make you better in life if you choose them carefully. And the last two things that I want to share is what do these type of people do? Because all of us need to surround ourselves with people that will sharpen us. And I believe that God desires through your life to be that person as well in someone's life. And the first one is this, that a true friend will call you out. That a true friend will call you out. That they share it in honesty in the relationship. 
not with a spirit of, of, of concern, or out of a spirit of concern, not a spirit of, of criticism. Now, how many of you, without you raising hands, you, you have a close, deep, significant, thriving relationship with a brother or sister in Christ that you know at the end of the day they're so committed to the potential of the Holy Spirit that's within you that they're willing to look you in the eye and they're willing to call you out. You've got to choose your friends carefully. You've got to have these people. More of a humorous note on the subject of calling, calling you out. I uh, was recently getting dressed uh, earlier this summer in the bedroom, and uh, I'm going through, like I said last week, that corner of the closet that I have. And uh, I've got some, actually, I have a closet in the basement. That's how bad it is. But no, I've got a couple dress shirts, and I've got a couple polo shirts. And I decided to wear this purple polo shirt because real men can wear pink and purple, right? And so, not judging, you know, I got purple on today. So I go to put this purple polo shirt on, and uh, I'm getting dressed, and, and Amos, our two-and-a-half-year-old, kind of walks in the room, and I'm getting dressed. I'm like, he just loves me. He wants to be like me. And he goes, Dad, you wearing mom's clothes today? <laughs> And I was dying in the inside. I'm like, that's so funny. But you know what? He called me out. You're a boy and you're wearing purple. <laughs> you know, it's like he's calling you out. That's yeah, a humorous, you know, example. And I'm not talking about those type of friendships. I'm talking about people that are able to look you in the eye and say, you know what, man, you, you dropped the ball in that area. You didn't represent Christ in that conversation or that situation or or circumstance. You've got to have these. And look at how Proverbs describes it. I love it. In Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, Wounds from a friend are better uh, than the kisses from an enemy. So what it's saying about the topic of friendship is here is kind of Paul's admonition in Ephesians chapter 14 where he says, Speak the truth in love. That these are people that they combine truth with tenderness in that conversation. And they're able to call you out. All of us have people at times that they're, they're full of, of, of truthfulness, but they lack tenderness. And we begin, become callous in those relationships. You ever have someone like that? They're always like, and there's no, you know, it's all truth and there's very little tenderness. Then you've got the people that are all tender, you know, the lovey-dovey, you know, God loves everyone and everything's fine and, you know, roses and peaches and things like that. And they're not willing to actually tell you the truth. And if you surround yourself with those people, those people are cowards in those relationships. You've got to be able to combine truth and tenderness. That's what Jesus was like. Eighty-four times in the Gospels, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He didn't hesitate to speak truth into people's lives. Hear me. I believe your closest friends are the ones that are able to tell you the most truth in a spirit of love. They see the Holy Spirit's potential within you. You've got to have close friends that are willing to do that. They're committed to you. I love how the Bible places and kind of puts imagery to some of these verses that are so critically important 
in our lives. It says, wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Now, the Italian side of our family is just kind of a kiss-you-on-the-cheek family. I mean, just you get together, and everybody's kissing everybody on the cheek, and you're just constantly, like, you know, wiping it off, and, you know, they're constantly moving around. But when I, when I hear this verse, it's a sign of affection. It's implying that there's relationship, and yet the Bible is saying that there are people that, that it's like a kiss on the cheek, and, and they're not really your friends. These are the flattery kind of people. You ever have those relationships with people that they always want to tell you what you want to hear, when you want to hear it. They always want to pat you on the back and say, bless God, everything's going well. You're doing fine. It's good and grand and da-da-da-da-da. And, and, and they're kind of, to be honest, they're like Judas. And what did he do in the garden? He betrayed Jesus with what? He kissed him. The Bible's saying that there are people that if you and I are not careful with, we can surround ourselves with those type of people. And at the end of the day, they're not really friends. And yet wounds, gosh, wounds can be painful. They require healing. I mean, if I had a sign-up sheet, go buy an access shirt after service, get some spikes tickets, if you want wounded, just write your name down on the list. We'll, we'll wound you. How many of you? And none of us would sign up. Nobody wants to be wounded. But this passage of Scripture is saying that the wounds from true friends are much better than the people that just kind of slap you on the back, kiss you on the cheek, and they betray you in the relationship. True friends are willing to do that with one another. They're able to look you in the eye and they're able to call you out. And I was thinking about this on a different Kind of, uh, no. Now, how many of you, I mean, if you were at Mount Nittany and you were hiking this afternoon after the picnic, and you got bit by a copperhead snake in the hand or the leg, they say that it's the equivalent of stepping on an electrical wire, it's the equivalent of smashing a finger with a thumb, or it's the equivalent of stabbing yourself multiple times. How many of you, if you were bit by a poisonous spider or, or snake and that venom was in you and you were in excruciating pain, if you had a true friend with you with a knife, you would be willing to allow them to wound you and to suck out that venom. Because what they say is that if you can prohibit the venom from getting in the bloodstream, you have a much better rate of success. And the same thing is true about our relationships. That there are unchristlike things in all of our lives beyond the surface. That true, deep, meaningful, significant relationships that you have. These people that you allow into your life to call you out. What they're doing is they're wounding and they're calling you out in certain ways. And the goal is for that venom to not hit the bloodstream of your life. So that the spirit of God can work through that person so that you can become more like Christ. Are you with me? Wounding can be challenging, it can be painful at times, but the process that's involved in that relationship is a wonderful thing. Because if you don't surround yourself with these type of people, you will get who you are. And I believe that I'm speaking to people that say, you know what, I'm not content with who I am. I need to grow more and more in my relationship with Christ. There are things beyond the surface in all of our lives that true friends through Christ 
can address those issues so that they don't poison us, spiritually speaking. Wounds from a friend. These are people that are straightforward. They're brave. You know at the end of the day that they want God's best for you. And they're able to say and to speak to the Holy Spirit's potential in your life. Because if you contrast that with what Proverbs 29.5 says, it says there, there are those that flatter their neighbors and they're like spreading nets for their feet. Basically, it says that there are these type of friends that if you want to surround yourself with people that will always flatter you, they'll always tell you what you want to hear, when you want to hear it, they always want to compliment you and so forth, that, that it's a trap, spiritually speaking. I mean, we see this in politics all of the time. How many of these guys are, they're supporting, they're supporting, they're supporting, they're supporting, and then they're like railing on the person. They're not true friends. But if you're not careful, you can surround yourself with people, and, 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 and you've got to allow these people in your lives. Oscar Wilde says a true friend stabs you in the front. And you know what? If it's a true friend, we should be okay with that. It's what they do. Secondly, true friends stick with you. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. I mean, these aren't people that are conditional. These are people that are consistent. They're going to stick with you through the high times. They're going to stick with you through the thriving times in your relationship. And they're going to stick with you through the challenging times in your relationship. They're not conditional, but they're consistent. Which is why Proverbs says you've got to choose friends carefully. Because almost everything in in our society today is conditional, isn't it? I mean, you fill out this email and answer these 200 questions. If you do that, we'll give you a $5 coupon. If you buy your car at this place, you'll get tickets to Disneyland or... The other day, I, I'm at uh, a store in town needed some bug spray. It's like 13 or $15. And I go to check out. I'm in a hurry. Would you like the rewards card? You can save 10% on that $15. I'm like, will you just leave me alone, you know? Let's just talk. Let's just talk. And, and how are you doing? I'm doing well. What's going on in your life? What's go- but it's all like just bam, bam, bam. And there's so many conditions in our in our culture, I wanted to say, you know, either just talk with me and we'll, we'll just talk life or come spray this stuff at my house and, I'll, and then I'll sign up for your credit card at the store. But other than that, I mean, our relationships can be so surface level at times. So many conditions, you can't even keep up with it. I absolutely hate shopping. You ever go to a store and you check out with like a shirt and the sign's like, well, this shirt's twelve ninety nine, and you get up and they're like, it's, it's $28. Like the sign says twelve. Well, sir, that's if you buy 11 of them. We're having a sale for 11, 11 shirts. And unless you buy 11, you know, it's, it's going to be $28. You know, so much is conditional. And if you and I aren't careful, we can allow that in our relationships with other people. And it's not God's, God's best for you. True friends stick with it. They stick with it. This is so important to me as a pastor that we develop these kind of relationships with one another. That's why, you know, with conditional relationships, I don't know if I've shared this before, but it's so important to me from the beginning time that we started this church that I have absolutely no involvement or understanding of 
of who gives financially and who doesn't give because to me, that's absolutely irrelevant to how I treat people. Well, Zach, would you treat somebody that gives X amount of money different than when you would treat somebody that has never given a cent? I would absolutely hope to be able to say yes, but it's a protective measure that you can put into place that says, you know what? I want to treat everybody the same. I'm not going to have conditions. I was talking to somebody a while ago that uh, a friend of mine, he doesn't make any large decisions with his church unless the people that give within the top 20% of the church agree with the decision. And I'm like, that's like setting a net up around you to, to trap yourself. It's unwise and it's not... God's best. We shouldn't have those type of relationships. Money has so much power. I was reading, somebody just gave Ted Cruz $15 million already for his campaign. And you're telling me money doesn't buy influence and power. What did Jesus do? Was his relationships conditional? He gave all, sacrificed all, put all the chips on the table, even at times for people that would betray him. They would reject him. They would turn their back on him. True friends will will stick with you, and you've got to have these people in your lives. If you surround yourself with people that are just constantly, at the end of the day, you're going to get who you are. I don't want to challenge you to say that, you know what, I don't think that's God's best. I want people that are going to sharpen me. I want people that are going to call me out that are going to speak to the Holy Spirit's potential that's within me, and that are going to stick with me through the good times, the tough times, and everything in between. As the worship team comes back, I want to share a story with you. You'll see on the screen in 2005, uh, Michael Bloomberg helped unveil the monument outside the Brooklyn Cyclones' home. It was depicting uh, a picture of Pee Wee Reese and, and Jackie Robinson's arms around one another. And this monument that was, was placed there uh, was referencing, it was commemorating something that happened many years ago. And I know some of you have seen the movie about Jackie Robinson. But between the years of 1884 and 1947, no African-American man had ever laced up cleats for an American baseball team. And in 1947, that changed uh, when a progressive thinking general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he promoted this 28-year-old African-American rookie infield player to the American League Club. And it was in the spring of that year uh, that this racial barrier uh, was shattered. But as you read through the history, history tells us that it was excruciatingly painful for Jackie Robinson. He would walk out on the field and and the insults and the racial slurs were just unbelievable And what was taking place then. You ever feel like you're alone on an island and no one's with you? It's kind of how he had to have felt. But nevertheless, he would walk out on that field surrounded by hate, rejection, in opposition. So what happened this particular day, this prized rookie was getting ready to play a game. And there's very little history that's recording this event because really the news wasn't even covering it at that period of time. It was just such a sensitive 
issue. But they had taken him from second base. They were afraid that too many people were going to cleat him, spike him. And so they moved him over to first base in this particular game. So as he's standing on first base, people are just shouting just obscenities. They said that the players on the opposing team were just as bad as the Cincinnati Reds on the side. They were just kind of layering this horrible verbal language. He was having death threats and just so many things. It was in the middle of the game as he was just constantly being verbalized and brutalized in front of all of those people. Reese was the captain of the team. He raised his hand and you can see this uh, in the movie 42, I believe it's called. He raises his hand and he stops the game. they said that he did is that he walked out onto the field next to Jackie Robinson and he just simply walked up to him and he put his arm around on movies say that there was you know this dialogue that was taking place but if you really read about the history of it he didn't say anything this skinny white man stood with his arms around this African American man that was being rejected by virtually everyone there and he just stood by with him stuck with him and he just faced the crowd said nothing just stood there and said you know what I'm sticking with you history goes on to tell about just such a wonderful friendship that they developed over the years well here you have just such a vivid image of a friend It says, you know what, this man may have absolutely everything stacked against him in that moment. I'll do my part, and I'll stand with him. Isn't that what Jesus does to people? Lost people that don't have relationship with Jesus. He just says, you know what, I'm going to come alongside you. Remember when he called the disciples, they're all with him, and then he chose the apostles? What was their primary calling? Did he say, come build churches, come share the gospel? Did he say, we're going we're gonna to go feed a whole bunch of people, we're going to do miracles, signs, and wonders? What was the first call? That they may be with him. We look at ministry so many times, God's kingdom through the lens of ministry. Maybe God's kingdom is simply relationships. Maybe the churches aren't buildings, but they're they're relationships. Maybe our call is not to preach at people, it's not to convert people, but it's to just simply come alongside them. Am I saying that you accept, that you embrace the lifestyle, that you never speak the truth. Absolutely, I'm not implying that at all. But what I am saying is that as we go to Orchard Park today and you see a mom and three little kids and they're running around on the swing set and they're from another country, they're just there this afternoon. They're not looking for one of us to preach at them. They're not looking for one of us to say, hey, come here, why don't you come to our picnic? I'm gonna convert you. No, they just want somebody that's going to come alongside them, to be with them, to stick it out with them, that it's through relationships. 
the last thing in the world I would want anyone to take home from this message or last week is that Zach is saying, you know what, reject people, push them aside, find a couple, you know, few friends and hide in a cave. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus says, choose your friends carefully. These are those type of relationships that model what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. That our community is filled with people that are concerned about followers, but they don't have friends. I just want somebody that says, you know what? I don't care who's against you. I'll stand with you because God is for you. You encourage them to speak truth into their life. You're just there for them. And I believe that it'll provide the opportunity for Christ to be seen in your life.